headed away by Lacadia of Cincinnati. As far as Leal, the right-footed volley! Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, brought to you by two people who've covered the club more than anyone else in their respective disciplines. Thanks to Moon Taxi, as always, for the jam, and that opening radio call is courtesy of ESPN 94.9 via the dulcet tones of Nashville SC radio play-by-play voice John Freeman. For the first time here on the 440 Sports Network, we are recapping a Nashville SC competitive match. Wes Bowling here, radio analyst for Nashville Soccer Club. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the editor of clubcountryusa.com and somebody who is very happy to be back in the press box on Saturday evening, especially since we ended up seeing a thrilling game. And I understand you caught that first goal by Yonder Cadiz from the elevator due to some challenges getting to the stadium. I managed to see more of the game than I was expecting to, but uh, all cops turn off your uh, your pods right now. I watched a lot of it on the drive-in. <laughs> hey, get a good screen mount yeah. and you're fine. Yeah. And now since you watched the first goal of the year on an elevator, there is truly nowhere to go but uh, up. Please don't. Uh, oh, Wes. Oh, Wes. <laughs> hey, you knew based on the elevator pitch of this podcast, there would be some bad jokes from time to time. We'll see if that makes it in the final cut. But hey, it was an exciting match, and at least for a week, the most active attack in Major League Soccer resides in Music City. The boys in gold capped opening night with a frenetic 2-2 draw against FC Cincinnati that really could have been, Tim, a whole lot worse, but also could have been a lot better for Nashville. Yeah, when you go down two goals and you still end up feeling disappointed that you claw back and get a draw, it tells you quite a bit about just how exciting this game was. It felt like there was a lot more in it than there ended up being, even though it was a four-goal game. So we're going to sit back and discuss every single of the 40 scoring chances tonight. (laughs) No, just kidding. That would be a really busy show. But we do have a busy show this episode. Today, in our early shout, we're going to hit the high points of the season opener. And we'll equip you with nuggets that you can toss out at the office, at the bar, in the Zoom chat. And then we'll debate whether the result should be encouraging or disappointing. And yeah, we recognize the world's not binary, right? It's a nuanced answer. And the answer is both. There are encouraging elements. There are disappointing elements. But which sentiment prevails? We're going to talk about that tonight. And then, Tim, we'll have a guest. Yeah, Kevin Laramie is a Quebecois and longtime podcaster, the host of Soccer Today on the Sports Podcasting Network. And he serves with me on the board of the North American Soccer Reporters. And he's been covering Club to Foot Montreal so long he can remember when the name was Montreal Impact. Wow, that's a long time. A good what? And we'll, and we'll actually talk months. about that too. And it's an interesting topic. I think folks in Nashville have opinions on on rebrands and on creating a club. When you are tied to a club for decades and the name changes, it's a really interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And Kevin has some candid and pretty insightful comments. After that discussion, we will step outside in to provide highlights from elsewhere in MLS, and then we'll close with your mailbag questions. It's no surprise you loaded up our inbox after a match that was packed with action. A lot to get to today. So before I drone on long enough that Lucho Acosta can sneak in from behind, let me go ahead and get us to our early shout. Here comes Nashville on the counterattack right to left. It's Godoy into the final third. Gives off to Randall Leal. The cross coming in. Nashville is back in the 
That was the first goal of Nashville SC's season from the call of radio voice John Freeman on ESPN 94.9. And if you're listening to this podcast, you likely know the result. A 2-2 draw with FC Cincinnati. Two-time wooden spoon holders who are trying to avoid collecting a dinette set in year three. (laughs) And an eighth-minute goal from Lucho Acosta got him off to a good start. It dirtied the score sheet. And then immediately on ensuing action, Joe Willis committed a penalty. Eventually, the VAR system brought it to the attention of the referee. And he went back and looked. And Rubio Vasquez awarded a penalty that Brenner converted. But the boys in gold stormed back and owned the match from there, cutting the deficit in half in the 20th minute from Yonder Cadiz before equalizing in the 64th. of a shot cross spinning we'll discuss it. We'll discuss amazing it. piece of beauty either way from Randall Leal and then despite a flurry of Nashville opportunities Tim the boys in gold they couldn't break through here's what Gary Smith said after the match the guys showed an incredibly good attitude to overcome such a difficult start and to be perfectly honest I think you know the two goals were, were very well crafted Randall's is an exceptional finish if indeed he means it so you need to talk to him about that but nevertheless you know we had an absolute hatful of opportunities to have gone on and won the game so I think the guys will be disappointed they'll be frustrated but once they wake up in the morning and realize the sort of character and determination that they've shown and of course the quality that we've seen on show here tonight I think they'll you know take that forward into next week and to the Montreal game next Saturday with a lot more confidence and belief in, in what we're capable of here again. So Tim, the gaffer, clearly disappointed by the result, but also encouraged by the way the club earned it. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Midfielder Hendwala Buana also expressed in, in more forceful terms that he thought this team should have been able to find a winner, and he had one of the golden chances to do so, and I think that's part of why he felt so forceful about it, because he felt like he'd let his team down, which is probably being a little hard on himself. It was a great play by Teton. Shimishlav, mm-hmm, Teton. Absolutely. It was really such an impressive match from the Cincy keeper. So impressive, in fact, he nearly doubled the club record in Cincy for saves in a match with that performance, had 11 of them against Nashville SC. Let's hit on a couple of gold nuggets, things that you might not have seen when you were watching the match, things you can talk about with your friends, rivals. Number one, this was the best attacking night in NSC history, at least by the numbers. Nashville set club records in shots, shots on goal, and corner kicks, and as we mentioned, forced Teton to set a club record in saves by nearly double. And at this point, at least for one week, Nashville leads Major League Soccer in expected goals, shots, shots on target, and key passes. Tim, it was the first time that Leal, Cadiz, and Mukhtar started a regular season match together, and it yielded some fruit. Yeah, I think you look at the personnel that was on the field, and you say, wow, this is something that could potentially be really bright for the rest of the season. You look at the team that was across the touchline, and you look at the performance that FC Cincinnati put in, and you say, okay, maybe the defense just wasn't doing it for Teton, and that's why he had to bail them out. But from a Nashville perspective, you want to have confidence that what you saw was positive, because it's going to be that way regardless of the opposition. On the flip side, as good as the attack was as they chased the game, it was one of the worst defensive nights in NSC history, at least on the score sheet. Certainly, they only conceded seven shots, only two of them on target. One was a PK, but it was the fastest they'd ever conceded two goals in a match. And then since he went into its shell and went into into defense mode, and it came against an FCC squad that scored 12 goals all of last season. Now, you can qualify that if you want with the fact that since he spent $20 million on its attack in the offseason to make sure that didn't happen again. Nonetheless, it was not a night that Gary Smith will look back on and show film about if he's celebrating a defensive performance. Yeah, and you look at it, and yes, there's some of the things that 
went down that you don't expect to happen again. It was a fluky result. It's the sort of thing that you saw the rust from Joe Willis on conceding the penalty. So that's something that it's not going to happen a whole lot. We saw him give up this the silly yellow card in the opener last year against Atlanta. Last week, Dax McCarty told us that the choppy preseason could probably affect the way that the team performed. He was hoping that it wouldn't be the case. I think we saw that it probably was. I don't think that it was a question of match fitness for most players, except for some that maybe were were hobbled, but just chemistry for sure. And yeah. and even Dax didn't really have his best match. He's going to be the first to stand up and raise his hand and say he was a little bit imprecise. We saw that from Hani Mukhtar from time to time. Guys who maybe just weren't as sharp in match one as, as you would hope. And yet again, of course, it is match one. Uh, expected goals, Nashville 3.5. Cincinnati was around 1.9, but that includes the PK, of course. Uh, expected goals for those of you who are not educated in the term. Tim, give a better definition than I certainly could of exactly what expected goals are. Essentially, it looks at the factors that go into a shot, and the, the biggest factor is how far it is from the face of the goal and kind of assigns a value based on the probability of, of similar shots in the past, the percentage likelihood that it goes in. And when you kind of add it all up, you look at it and say, this is approximately how many goals you would expect to score with this quality of chances over the course of the match. And so that's one reason that you can say this match was perhaps a bit of a letdown for Nashville SC. Mm -hmm. Not only did they not take the result, but 3.5 times that ball should have hit the back of the net, at least by that metric. And that is, by the way, the highest number in Major League Soccer in week one of action. Tim, any other takeaways from the match? No, I think when you look at it and you say, it's almost one of those burn the film kind of games that you you hear about a little bit more in, in college sports where it's, you know, a lot of the stuff that went wrong wasn't stuff that's going to be relevant. It's not going to be something that you look at in the film room and say, okay, we can learn from this. It was the sort of night that has bad luck. And unfortunately, everything that could go wrong for the, at least the first 12 minutes there did. That is our early shout. Again, final score, Nashville SC2, FC Cincinnati 2. One final stat to leave you with before we head on to our next segment. That's now five competitive meetings between Nashville and Cincinnati in all competitions. They've drawn all of them, and the total goal tally, seven apiece. It could not be more deadlocked between these teams. All right, let's move on now and embrace consensus. At least that's the working title that we have for the segment where we should be debating, but given our shared perspective and history covering this club so far, we've tended to come out on the same side of the discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it. And today we're going to discuss a question that we asked you, and you were pretty divided on on Twitter in the poll, and that is the question of whether the season opening result is more of a disappointment or an encouragement. We asked you guys, but also credit to Alex Hamill for reaching out and and asking a similar variation of that question. The result's disappointing because Nashville didn't take the three points. It's encouraging because of how they came back. It's both of those things. We admit that. But if you had to choose one in a binary world, which would it be? Tim, I'll let you start. If this game happened 10 times, Nashville probably wins eight of them. So that's encouraging. But when you're playing a team that's expected to be one of the worst in the league, it is still a disappointment to not take full points. You only have 34 opportunities to accumulate points. And when you get a third of the amount of points that you are expecting in one of those games, it's setting yourself behind the eight ball a little bit more than I think you'd like to be. Again, projecting forward, not as disappointing, but when it is FC Cincinnati, especially a a team that's expected to be a rival, you want to take the result that you feel you deserve. So you bring the appropriate nuance to the conversation, but if I'm making you choose, encouraging, disappointing. 
Listen, Wes, we're going to keep agreeing all the time unless I say it's more disappointing than encouraging. <laughs> all right. So maybe a manufactured difference of opinion. And I will say it, it's it's more encouraging than it is deflating. And I will acknowledge every point that you just made about the reasons that it's certainly a, a letdown. You come into that match expecting to win. Second fewest percentage of teams in MLS will make the playoffs this year compared to any other time in MLS history. And you need every point you can get, especially in a home opener with a, a robust crowd there. But there are things to be encouraged by. And I go back to the dichotomy that Mike Jacobs brought us last week. General Manager Mike Jacobs with a great conversation. It's a bit of an evergreen chat, honestly. So if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to the last episode in his interview. He said there's a difference between this club's aspirations and its objectives. The aspiration is to win every match. Every team has that. And to win MLS Cup. But the objectives are benchmarks along the way that mark progress. And in some cases, more clearly display the club's trajectory. And I think those point to encouragement. And I think that's why Gary Smith was not as dejected as, as you might have thought, or certainly if the club had gone up 2-0 and conceded two goals late instead of scoring them. 3.5 expected goals, 31 shots a club record, possession in Cincy's final third for almost one third of the action. They camped out there. And even when a team dominates possession, they're rarely just sitting in the final third. They're skirting it along the perimeter. They should take the result and shake their heads and say, look, wish it was three. But I think the signs to a more active attack, the signs to a resilient squad, those things are in place and I think show some promise to him moving forward. Yeah, I think the conversation that we had with with Mike that you just referenced kind of spells it out perfectly. If you do everything right, you can't guarantee yourself a result. And Nashville was pretty close, especially after those first 12 minutes of doing everything right. But there are no guarantees in this game. It, it, it is... Uh, subject to the whims of fate, and unfortunately, they didn't get the result this time. Let's move on to Montreal. Nashville wraps up the draw and moves on to a CF Montreal team that made, well, an impact in its first match of the year. Little slip there from Auro. That's brought inside here an opportunity for Montreal early with Toy. And Mason Toy scores. It takes just over two minutes of this opening game for Mason Toy to get his first. That's right, it took less than three minutes for Montreal to open its 2021 account against rival Toronto in the Canadian Derby played as our most Canadian winters in South Florida. Thanks to TSN for the highlight, the French version sounded even better. You'll have to trust us on that one. A 4-2 win for Club de Foot Montreal over their rivals. That ties them for the MLS scoring lead. That despite playing under their third manager in as many years, being based in Miami this season and enduring some roster turnover in the offseason. And now Nashville gets ready to host Montreal Saturday. They beat the artists formerly known as the Impact 1-0 at Red Bull Arena last October. You made a call and got an expert in soccer up in Quebec on for an interview and had a really good discussion. Kevin Laramie is the president of North American Soccer Reporters. He's a guy who's been covering the Impact through several years and now club to foot Montreal through exactly one game for Soccer Today on the Sports Podcasting Network. Had a really good conversation with him and nobody knows more than Kevin about the club to foot. So I was really excited to talk to him. Let's hear that conversation now. Enjoy. And I'm here with Kevin Laramie, the president of the North American Soccer Reporters, my fellow board member of NASR. He is also the owner of the Sports Podcasting Network and host of Soccer Today on SPN. Kevin, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing pretty good. Stoked with this first weekend of the season. And I uh, can't believe already now Montreal Nashville will be fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that the two teams that we cover are meeting up so early in the season, but that's pretty cool. So um, I guess... 
to get started here, a lot of talk in Montreal uh, over the course of this offseason about various changes. The first and most obvious one is that it is no longer the Montreal Impact. I will probably accidentally call them that a couple <laughs> times during this interview. But how do people feel about the, the Club de Foot Montreal name change? From the fans' perspective, it's still a, a hard pill to swallow. They still miss the name. And I think it's the way it happened, too. It's not just that. It's a decision, how it happened, how you're taking away something from the fans they love and when you build your identity as a fan around this club it's a big difference when the name of the club changes and of course it's not just the name it's the logo the colors a bit the coach also and a lot of players 10 are gone eight are new to replace them with two of the academy making that difference so it's almost a new team it's almost you find yourself with a new team that you're following and you didn't choose that new team so there's a bit of that aspect it's grief but the beauty of it, it's grief that something is there to replace. The first game went a long way with the big win. The biggest thing for me with the rebrand is not that the name is is horrible, although I don't care for it. I'm not a francophone, unlike yourself, so I don't I don't have really a vested interest in it. It's the fact that you feel like you need to change for any purpose. I feel like some sort of consistency with the impact name probably would have gone a bit of a longer way towards kind of having some brand consistency within the market. And it's more about the concept of, of giving up on your branding than whatever the new branding ends up being. Exactly. It's almost admitting that what you fans love for 25 years is not good. It's like you love something yeah. for one quarter of a decade and it's not good. It's it's hard to swallow. And then it becomes a also a, a hill that people are willing to die on because it's something they love. So they're willing to be like, I'm going to give up the sport if it's for you to make you realize how important it is for me. Of course, if Montreal wins five games at the start of the season, I'm pretty sure they're going to stop hearing about this and people be like oh my god did you see the girl like yeah it's CF Montreal for the win so there's that aspect too and in the circle that win on Saturday made a big difference already since Saturday you've seen the talk not die down but the aspect of something else to talk about is there and it makes a big difference and the way the 4-2 happened I think the way Montreal played offensively a pleasing type of soccer they played for their opening game I think will rally fans but yeah they have an uphill battle to start the season. Yeah, kind of going into that, you know, you implied it very early. Um, you're talking about it a little bit again there. Thierry Henry leaves in the offseason to be reunited with his family in England. Obviously a really tough time, especially for the Canadian clubs in MLS. We're unable to return home. Or we're stuck in the United States for a long time. Was it a surprise that Wilfried Nancy became the guy? And then has he kind of maintained similar systems or is it a new thing going in? to each game than we might have seen from Henri. It's a very similar system. It's a continuity of, of what Thierry Henry was playing last year. So we're seeing some variant to a high press, not necessarily full high press, and especially now they're going to be established in Florida. You might not want to play a high press all the time because depleting your, your energy levels, mm -hmm. but a high press with a midfield that is there to recuperate the ball. So Wanyama and Samuel Piet as defensive midfielder, Maciel probably will come in that position later on too. They have a responsibility of, if not having the ball and moving it forward to their offensive players, which will be Mihalovic, 
to recuperate. So we're seeing that quick press to recuperate the ball and that transition game. But a very similar type of game that Thierry Henry did have. And with Canasi, he's been an assistant with this club mm-hmm. under four coaches now. So the players have changed a lot. And they went from a older crop of players last year and a couple of years before to a very young team, which is probably beneficial for him because he doesn't have as many players that just associate him as an assistant. Mm-hmm. And some of the young players will just see him as the full-fledged manager. And that is important for your, uh, I would say, for your credibility in the locker room, which is something in my neck of the wood, like the intangibles, a locker room talk. Oh, he's a big leader. Those are big talks. But when you're actually looking at the game results and pragmatically and statistically, today's generation loves to be explained why they want to play a certain way. And it's one thing to have Thierry Henry tell you, play this way because I've had my entire career and it worked. And have someone like Wilfred Nancy explaining to you the ins and outs of why I want you to play this way. And this is why I think it will work because of your, your qualities and explain the millennial soccer player how to understand maybe the benefits of the tactics. And that's what we've seen so far with Wilfred Nancy. So if I can make the big difference between the two is Thierry Henry had a credibility that it doesn't need to go into details. He can ask you something and you'll respect it because of his talents. And also Wilfred Nancy will actually have to gain your trust with on the field performance. But after a win like 4-2 that was yeah. dictated by how they played and with no superstar, right? The DP is a defensive midfielder. There's no 20-goal scoring player with Montreal. Their, their strikers are journeymen. All three of them are trying to find a way back into the good grace of this league. So I think we're seeing a bunch of misfits. And now you add the fact that they changed the name. Everyone hated them. <laughs> Us against the world is a powerful feeling. And there's nothing more dangerous than a team that has nothing to lose. Montreal has nothing to lose this year. That could be dangerous. Yeah, you mentioned that he kind of has to win his team over with uh, results on the field. Couldn't have gotten off to a much better start uh, with the way that things went over the weekend. Based on maybe the expected goals versus how many goals they actually ended up scoring, it might have been an overachievement. Is that something that um, is is inherent to the system? Was it just kind of a lucky day and, and you kind of look at it with a skeptical eye still? Or is it somewhere in between, most likely? I think we have to put some of that on Toronto. Uh, mm. Toronto had only three of their regular 11 players starting this game. And one of them is Omar Gonzalez. Omar Gonzalez is not the LA Galaxy's Omar Gonzalez. He's a very static version yeah. of, of that defender. And Montreal players just played all around him. To me, the, the one moment, if you look at Mihailovic's goal, he gets the ball, turns around, he's in front of Gonzalez. He does not even do a big move. He just goes left and just walks past him. But that explains maybe a bit of that. And I think Luke Singh, also a young defender who's been signed for a second emergency stint with Toronto FC's first team. He's not in the plans for the future or for this year. He might work himself into a TFC2 position maybe, but for the first team, He's still an emergency player to replace injured players. And also because of the Champions League and all, this team was very depleted. We're mm-hmm. seeing maybe two goals out of the four to me are there. Also, one of TFC's goals is a bit of a fluke. So a 2-1 result would have been maybe more respect to, to the efforts of both teams mm-hmm. and maybe handicap the starting 11. Montreal does not have two of their preferred starters also when you're looking at Lassie Lapalainen, who's still coming back from injury. Finnish international. He's maybe not a starter for Finland in the Euro this year, but he might actually make the bench. That's going to be depending on his performance. So he has something to play for. He's going to be important for this team later on this year. There's also Basong, who did not start this game, who's going to bring more into this lineup too eventually. So Montreal does not have the preferred lineup. So 
it's 50 50 there with them in Toronto. Uh, but to me, that's the point is yeah. how can they replicate that chemistry? Uh, Mihailovic in the midfield, and especially having Kyoto create so much danger on that left side of the attacking, and then having Mason Toy as a body the right position to finish you don't need to be uh, first of all his first goal was more than just a body it was a beautiful curler <laughs> but to me I do, I do not expect Mason Toy to do a Thierry Henry curling shot to the far post every game but being the right position a header that's what we expect of this type of striker with a couple of bonus goals if he does achieve his eight goal target this year Montreal might make the playoff because one of a goal him, I expect a goal from the midfield and maybe all together, you're starting to see finally the numbers of Nacho Piatti being replaced, which they have it last year. Yeah, you mentioned a couple guys there who were unavailable. Um, are Lapalainen and Basong expected back for this weekend's game against Nashville? I believe a song will be on the bench and could be available. Now will be a coach's decision if he is played. Lapalainen does not feel to me like he'll be quite ready. He's a couple of weeks away in my mind. When you look at uh, the attack, you know, you mentioned a couple players there. I think the one that especially U.S. men's national team fans are most interested in is Georgi Mihailovic because uh, he's a Chicago Fire homegrown. He's a guy who's played with the U.S. U-20s and I believe the U-23s. Yeah, he played for the U-23s in, yes. in Mexico. W- with, you know, a guy like that kind of pulling the strings maybe a fresh start for him is he the key to it obviously there are other pieces here mason toy um the former minnesota man also having having quite the game on saturday so are 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 those kind of the key guys that you look to who are some of the guys that nashville fans should look to and say that's the guy i expected to kind of make an impact offensively when these teams hit the field mihailovic definitely is one of the aspects of creation in this midfield but i think he's also a deterrent i think mihailovic has a name in major league soccer enough to attract the attention of one defender so as a 10 he's going to attract the attention of one defender and this is league-wide creation of goal is happening on the flanks after week number one it has been in the entire post preseason too but montreal a ton of teams are creating chances on the flanks and then low crosses in and you're finding opportunities this way so that is probably going to be important mihailovich has a certain amount of of simple aspect to his game. He's really good tactically and technically, uh, but he doesn't overcomplicate, doesn't try to be fancy and do two, three cross hooks and then try to finish at far post. From what I've seen, which is a short sample uh, of data, but this summer, well, a few weeks ago, when he was in the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament, he did score what I call a important goal, a goal that's easy to score. You're at the eight yard line, there's no one in front of you. You got the ball. And there's no keeper. And he put it behind the net. No trouble. It might seem easy, but in, in this side of the continent, we're not used to seeing easy goals being yeah. scored. And he did create to me what I call an MLS type of player that is there and will listen to you, will play with what you want to do, will create. And him, like you mentioned with Mason Toy, I think Mihailovic is also has a lot to prove because yeah. he was touted as a very high prospect with Chicago, wasn't surrounded like a big prospect. It wasn't given the confidence and playing time of one, but he had that tag with him. And I think that was a detriment to him. Now being away from his hometown, being away from his home country of the United States, there's less pressure. Sometimes when you're exiled, you actually focus entirely on your game and you play better. I think there's a little bit of that with Mihailovic. We'll see. We'll know very quickly because he's he's given the keys to the castle here. He's 
having this creativity in the midfield. And Wilfried Nancy hasn't been shy in using him already. So to me, that's a big compliment to Jordi Mihailovic with his age to start the game at that position. In Major League Soccer, it might be the most important position, number 10. You got to defend, but we've seen score 4-3, 4-2. We've seen amazing score of the weekend. We've seen some draws and some 0-0 game. I'm looking at you, Colorado and Dallas. <laughs> I still will not have those two hours back, but I do feel Mihailovic is going to be the key for Montreal's offense. I wish I hadn't brought up the Olympic qualifying tournament in Guadalajara because now I'm very depressed about it again, but that's okay. I think the the same way. So (laughs) yes, the Americans and Canadians, one thing we can definitely commiserate about after that tournament. When you look at Montreal's overall expectations for the season, was the win against TFC enough to ratchet those upward or was it okay, we're still going to be in wait and see mode a little bit here for for at least another couple of weeks. I think it's enough to tell people to take a second look at what Montreal actually have as a roster. Because when you look at the roster they have and the prediction of MLS's pundits around the league, they put them last or, or outside the playoff. When you start to look at defense and who's in, who's out, and you start to see a difference of, Wow, they're younger, but they might have been as talented. I think this team really took it to heart that no one believed in them in their preseason predictions. And I think they want to mm-hmm. continue to show that they are better than, than people think. And when you start to break down position for position with potential of players, because that's one thing it's hard to, to quantify is the potential. So is Zachary Brugliard, who could be the best, re- the best right back as a five-man backline in the league. He has a very high upside. That's could have been finished fourth in player of the league of the week voting, right? So there's some aspect to his game that people don't know. Montreal is out of sight, out of mind a bit for the predictions. So that's why. So they're not dead last. They have a way better roster to me than that. So I do feel like if things go mm-hmm. well, like Eric Artado scored 15 goals in this league before. If those yeah. things click. I think Montreal could surprise. I think Montreal could be the dark horse in the East. I literally think so because of what if. But there's so many unknown that I can understand why they were put last. But to me, that's that's a big difference. Is that victory might give people oh a second look, and then Montreal might be taken more seriously than the next time they come to town. So Montreal is a team that kind of, at least on a national stage, made some waves and, and maybe changed some minds about how good they are. Nashville maybe changed some minds about what style of team they are this weekend with a, an offensive uh, game plan, I guess. It didn't necessarily turn into a ton of goals, but they did create a ton of chances. What do you expect to see from these two teams when they hit the field in Nissan Stadium Saturday afternoon? I think they will actually try to go at Walker Zimmerman directly. I think they will literally try to go to the to the side and whip balls in because I think they feel like if it's not for Zimmerman, they have an advantage there. So you take Zimmerman out of the question, which if you if you send 50 balls there, he won't get on all 50. There's a few of them that will get yeah. by him. And then the height of Mason Toy, of Awanyama, and these players, Struna, who I expect might be starting that game, you might have an advantage there. I can see that happen. I can see Montreal trying to go with speed at a Dax McCarthy and try to maybe find a weakness there. I'm not saying there's one, but maybe if they feel they have the youth and the speed aspect with a Mihailovic there, that's going to be the big matchup is between that midfield. And that's where we'll see if Montreal gets speed on the flanks and able to dictate the tempo of play there, Montreal could be dangerous because they do have that youth 
component against Nashville. So I guess they were technically at home over over the weekend down in Fort Lauderdale, but in a true road game at Nissan Stadium this weekend, is that something that, you know, you've mentioned so many guys who are new to this team. Is that something that they're going to be prepared for as the visiting team for the first time with this new look squad? Yeah, the, the benefit of always being on the road for an exile team like Montreal is <laughs> you can bond quicker together and you face yeah. adversity. It's a cliche. It's, it's a short trip too, right? So it's not yeah. Fort Lauderdale to Nashville. It's a short trip. And they're going to travel very short period of time to limit the ex- the, the exposure of, of anything. So yeah. I don't think that's a big difference. I think it's more the crowd factor. I think that might be a difference mm-hmm. where Nashville, there will be some crowd present for Nashville. And that could be something that Montreal is maybe destabilized by because they haven't played with an opponent's crowd in a long time. There's no crowds in Miami for Montreal. They did have 200 and so fans in the stadium for a couple of games last year, but that's a long time ago. I I think that might be the one component that could destabilize Montreal. Mm -hmm. But then I think Montreal is willing to get all the tests they can because that's how they're going to become good. Even though they have a snowflake as their logo, they need to, <laughs> they're going to need to be forged by fire. And fire and adversity will make them better. And no, no better way to do this so than on the road. All right. Moment of truth. If you're comfortable making a prediction, do you have one for the game this weekend? Uh, I do have a prediction here. I think it'll be a surprising result. I think Nashville still wants to tweak and continue to think offensively and will expose themselves. I think we might have another offensive result. A 3-2-3-1 Montreal wouldn't surprise me that much. All right, Kevin Laramie, the president of North American Soccer Reporters and the host of Soccer Today on the Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Tim. Thank you for your amazing show and uh, looking forward for Nashville. It's one of my uh, one of my favorite teams. It's nothing complicated. It's It doesn't need to be caviar. Sometimes a cheeseburger <laughs> is really good, and I love myself a cheeseburger. All right, Kevin Laramie, thank you very much. Really a thorough discussion, and I think Kevin's history with that club particularly um, gave him some some strong insight, Tim. Yeah, and I think the way that he described the Montreal offense was encouraging to me. I think have a little bit more faith that Nashville has the right defensive setup to slow them down, whipping in crosses from the wing and trying to test Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney. It might eventually bear fruit, but you're playing a low probability game and hoping that NSC ends up making a mistake. I'd be more scared if you saw the version of Romel Kyoto that wants to create danger in the box and slot passes through to runners than one sticking wide and, and whipping in those crosses. So a similar type of play to what we saw Acosta and, and Matarita combined for then for that first goal for Cincinnati. I think that, I mean, that could be a template right like i think clubs know they're going to have to try to overlap and get numbers in the in the box and in the final third to to beat this nashville team and kyoto is the type that can dart in behind you and all of a sudden he's in on goal before you saw him yeah and i think that playing him wide it might have just been a one game game plan thing against tfc but it is a much less scary version of Romel Kyoto than the one that we've seen excel both there and at his previous stops. Very good point. And Mason Toy, just an absolute banger with the right foot. But you heard Kevin talk about the fact that Omar Gonzalez and that Toronto defense, not only not as sharp perhaps as they have been in the past, but also dealing with CCL play and having to rotate the roster and, and deal with a heavy load there. I think George Mihailovic is the guy to watch as well. And, and you heard a good bit of conversation about him. Something to prove and really dangerous in that central attacking role. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that that Kevin seemed kind of lukewarm on Mihaljevic because he's somebody that obviously has played with the U.S. youth teams very recently. Um, he's somebody that 
while guys who play for U.S. youth teams are not, are not necessarily going to be world beaters, they're usually pretty good in MLS. And to hear that maybe he's still adjusting to a new team is something that I guess makes it fortunate for Nashville to catch the, the impact. I'm just going to call him that. Sorry. To catch the impact <laughs> early. <laughs> It's just what we're going to have to do for a while. I, I, I warned Kevin that I would probably do it in the course of the interview, and I did not, so I, so I owe him one. Nashville in CF Montreal, Club de Foot Montreal, or the artists formerly known as Impact will kick off at 1 p.m. Saturday, and you can catch that game on MyTV30, or I'm partial to the radio call because I'm on it, ESPN 94.9, if you like. And by the way, we encourage you, if you're at the match, put us on. Put, put the radio call on in one ear. You can still sing. You can still listen in one ear to the to what's going on around you. But, but listen to the call. Moving along to Outside In. What is happening away from Music City? Chicharito is scoring, Tim. A brace against Miami in Fort Lauderdale to ruin the Beckham Bowl for the home team. Yeah, I'm really excited for Chicharito. He's a guy who I really like. Had a couple years with West Ham, the the English Premier League team that will not be leaving. I the knew English there was going to Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, I knew there was going to be a West Ham and a we are not corrupt. You know <laughs> yeah, what? I wouldn't go reference. I wouldn't go so far, but not leaving the Premier League. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've, I've always liked Chicharito. I think he's, he seems like a really good dude off the field too. Um, he's endured a really tough year personally and to see him come out and maybe be the Chicharito that we thought we were getting last year was, was really a happy moment for me. Scored two goals all of last season, scored two goals against Inter Miami in match number one. And that resurgence for him, if it can continue, could mean a really interesting playoff picture out west keeping it in los angeles lafc was damaged last year by not having carlos vela who was hurt for a lot of the year and this weekend they thought they were going to have him but self-inflicted some damage with an accidental substitution which is the weirdest thing i've ever seen uh, he pulls up lame after a run asks for a trainer uh, head coach bob bradley thinks he's calling for a sub immediately pulls him and bob was actually very forthcoming and, and contrite about the mistake that he had made which is a rare instance of actually getting something informative out of one of those mid-game <laughs> sideline interviews of a head coach and that was funny and it was austin fc's debut match they lose 2-0 to lafc and pity to seattle who have to face a very rested accidentally so vela in the next match meanwhile elsewhere ccl teams teams playing in the Concacaf champions league went winless in their opening weekend we'll qualify that columbus and philadelphia drew against each other they are both participating other than that toronto fc we mentioned they lost to montreal portland timbers lose to vancouver in salt lake city which is vancouver's temporary home and atlanta united draw with orlando i think the surprise result of the week a scoreless draw between atlanta and orlando but in terms of of surprising for quality purposes and, and a team losing that maybe should have gotten a result or won a match which do you think is is the most surprising? I think that Portland-Vancouver game is, is pretty surprising to me. It was a really kind of ugly game for a lot of it. Um, Vancouver gets the goal from Lucas Cavallini, but Vancouver was one of the worst teams in the league last year. They were kind of comparably bad to Cincinnati and D.C. United, who were pretty far and away the worst two teams. And for a Portland team that isn't necessarily one of the favorites in the West, but is a very good team and expected to make the playoffs, that's got to be a really disappointing way to start your season. Has to be. A real surprise. And in the, the club and country football league, MLS Fantasy, I started Zuparich on Portland's back line because I thought at the very least a clean sheet was looking pretty good. Now I'm, I'm disappointed by that decision and glad that I decided not to play Diego Chara, who I also had 
in that lineup. Wouldn't have been very fruitful, but hey, I guess I'm still ahead of some people on this podcast. Yeah, I, I captained Carlos Vela and I started Joe Willis. So it was not a banner week for me. <laughs> so you're going to be getting a personal apology letter from Bob Bradley, I guess, for, for sitting your, your talisman. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going he's gonna to write a letter to every single person who, who captained Carlos Vela, which is probably like a third of people who play MLS Fantasy. Mention my supremacy over Tim, thanks in part to Bob Bradley. It is Sam from Atlanta leading the table with 71 points. I'm back in fifth, nine points off the top of the table. Tim in 13th, so you're the Crystal Palace of this league, or maybe the West Ham of this league in non-2021 seasons. In a typical year, that'd be about right, yeah. Yeah, it seems about fair. And uh, we should mention, by the way, the owner of 440 Sports, Braden Gall, sits in 20th place. He is last place among people who checked their lineups. It's a long season. You can climb back in this thing. Let's go to the mailbag where we got a lot of questions. We'll get to the ones that stuck out the most to us. And we'll start with Scott Dietz, who says, Hani has had sublime spells, mainly toward the end of last season, but looked a bit slow and imprecise in touch and finishing in week one. Should we expect erratic form from him, Tim, at this point? Or can we see more consistency this year from the most expensive player? Yeah, unfortunately, we've gotten this far into his MLS career, and we we don't really know which of those is going to end up being the right answer. The stop-start nature of his 2020, whether that was injuries, absences, and the nature of the season overall. And just a one-game sample size so far this year, and like we mentioned previously, the club has been pretty clear that they think preseason games, or a lack thereof, kind of is going to have them starting a little bit more slowly than than they expected to. But I can understand the fear, because Hani hasn't given proof positive that he will be consistent, and until he does, there's always going to be that doubt. There is, and I'll qualify it just a bit. A couple of the finishes that Scott's referring to were first onto his left foot. Now, if you're paying a bunch of money for a DP to come in, you hope they're going to you're going to finish with either foot and have those moments but uh, one of them in particular it was a, an awkward volley attempt the other the angle was cut off he couldn't really switch it on to his right he did set a nashville high for his career in nashville with six shots which was third most in mls last weekend and to get a little deeper into stats he was sixth in expected goals among the eight guys in the league that shot the ball five times or more so the quality of chances not quite as good for him as maybe it was for some other folks. But his distribution was a little more challenging. And ultimately, that's what he is on contract to do, is distribute, be that playmaker, and set up others as well. He was seventh from bottom in MLS in passing score per American soccer analysis. Passes completed compared to what he'd be expected to complete. Uh, he was well-positioned. He was shaded to the left next to Randall Leal. I think his touch and distribution can improve. Preseason was choppy for him and for the whole club, and so I don't think we judge too much on, on match one. But I also think chemistry with number nine is going to have to develop. And at times, Tim, and if you look at the average position map, Yonder Cadiz was a bit on an island there, up to the right, where everybody else was kind of shaded left. Part of the problem was Alex Muel was sitting back having to deal with Moderita blazing down the left side of the pitch, his right. But I don't think Yonder was always in an ideal place to to team up and really create a, a, a threat that spanned the width of the pitch, with the exception, of course, being his goal. Yeah, I think that as the season progresses, as the, that chemistry continues to improve, you'll definitely have a much clearer picture of whether that's to provide space for, for Randall and Hani to have interplay or if it is something that really does need to get fixed if Nashville is going to be a consistent offensive team like they showed the potential to be against Cincinnati. Question from John, did Sapong show enough in his substitute appearance to warrant occasionally starting? Thanks, John Mueller, for that question. I'm not sure the sub appearance itself told us enough to draw that conclusion, although I think there's promise there. Three shots in 30 minutes, certainly nothing to, to sneeze at. 
But I just don't think the club's going to bring in somebody with his experience and his salary level unless they want him to compete for a starting spot. He has way too much experience. He's got too high a salary to just be a depth guy. I think they would love it if he pushed John Ricardiz, Daniel Rios, and, and the slew of guys up there. And I think there's optimism around him. Occasionally starting, I think, could, could end up being his floor. I think he's certainly got potential to f- figure into this team's plans. Yeah, when we ran through our lineups real quick on last week's show, I predicted that he would be in the starting lineup. So uh, there was nothing in his performance Saturday evening that made me change from that opinion. Obviously, Jander Cadiz was a little bit more healthy than we maybe expected, but I think Sapong is going to get some starts here and there for this team, maybe be a regular starter. And he's a tremendous insurance policy if this club opts not to exercise the purchase option of Jander Cadiz when summer is up and that loan is set to expire. Certainly, they have to feel a lot better there. And yet still, I think they suffered from a lack of other attacking options because of injury with Daniel Rios, Abu Dunladi, and Don Baji all out. You'll notice that Gary Smith only made two substitutions, and five are still available to teams. And one of those was not Rodrigo Pinheiro, Tim, as we talk a little more about the attack. And we're about to answer another question about the wing. And it sounds like Pinheiro just may not be ready to contribute just yet. Yeah, that's something that I kind of have tried to warn both on clubcountryusa.com and on the first couple episodes of this podcast is he's a guy that the club has a lot of excitement about his future. He's also a guy that the club has a lot of realistic expectations about the present for him too. He's somebody who's going to have to develop to be a player in this league. Let's stay on the wing. And another question from John Mueller. Like eight of you submitted questions, but John had really two really good ones. So keep them coming and we will we will put you in next time. We'll do our best. He says, against teams that will bunker down and park the bus against Nashville SC, would the team be better served starting with Buana's creativity over Alex Mwil's work rate, and just some context, Mwil got the start on the right flank and was pressed back his average position around the stripe. Buana came in and, and really added some pace along the outside. Yeah, I've been pumping up Buana for a little while. I, I think what he provides on offense is, is better than you might expect from, from what his profile says, which is that he's a, a low-dollar homegrown signing that Nashville picked up to fill roster slot 29 or 30 because they weren't going to be able to either way. I think there's a really big role for him to play on this team. I think it'll be a little bit more situational, maybe like John asked, in those situations where a team is going to try to bunker rather than truly passing Wheel on a kind of a all-things-equal ideal depth chart. I think Wheel's going to stay number one, but Buana has a, a major role to play for this team. And so refreshing, surely, for Nashville SC fans to see so much more competition on both flanks, really. And competition's going to lead to some starters when people like Rendell Ayal are on international break. All right, for the final whistle, anything that uh, is on your mind, Tim, looking ahead this week, any content recommendations, any final words? Man, I have been so busy with the season starting up. I've been writing more than I've been reading. So I would ask everyone to check out clubcountryusa.com. And while I'm pimping my own stuff, uh, (laughs) rate, review, subscribe, this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Hey, you uh, heard me do that with Nashville SC Radio earlier. So no, uh, no judgment, no shame in the game for sure. And we should mention, you know, we'll get into tactics here. We get into some advanced stats. We'll touch on that here because I think you guys are educated enough to, to handle that in audio form. But there's only so much depth we can go into. You know, we, we talk for 45 minutes and Tim can write for much longer and much more words than that. So if you want a great companion piece to what we talk about, go much deeper on clubcountryusa.com. So in an era when we're a little fed up right now with at least 12 soccer clubs around the world, let's go to EFL. Let's go a little deeper in English football. 
I want to recommend Sunderland Till I deeper Die. And deeper every year. Deeper and deeper and deeper every year. Yes, that's the Sunderland way. But Sunderland Till I Die is, is absolutely electric documentary filmmaking on Netflix. If you would like to understand how English soccer loyalty resembles in many ways college football fandom in the United States. It, it as I think one quote says, it, it, it stops people from crying in church. Uh, or sometimes makes them cry in church. That's that's from the the documentary. If you hadn't seen it, it's a couple of years old now, but it's really pretty evergreen. And you should check out Sunderland Till I Die, the rise and mainly the fall of a proud English club and the torment that it wreaks on its fans. And if you start from the beginning in season one, you will see a Nashville SC mention. Actually, uh, Justin Davis comes across the bottom line on a television in the background, <laughs> saying that he has just signed with Nashville SC as they begin as a USL club. So. Uh, a little Easter egg for you guys that I happened to notice when I watched it a couple of years back. All right, before we close out, bold predictions for Nashville versus Montreal, Tim. What do you have? Yeah, I think these teams are going to combine for at least five goals. A really depleted TFC lineup. You heard Kevin talk about how many starters the Reds didn't have. They put two past Montreal, and we're seeing Nashville try to hone its offense early in the year. I think you'll see a fun back-and-forth game in the superior goalkeeper, and I do believe it's Willis in this game, even if he had a, a big goof on Saturday evening. I think he gives his team the best chance to win, maybe get a, a 3-2 victory or a 4-2 victory, put one back on Montreal like they gave to TFC. I'll stay away from a scoreline, but I will agree with you on the style of the match we're going to see. I think this Nashville team would like to button things up defensively, but they want to see how far this attack can go. And I think if they're going to err on one side or the other, they're going to err on defensive vulnerability and Mm -hmm. press forward, especially against the Montreal team that I think they can certainly control. So I'll say my bold prediction is that Nashville will hit the 15 shot mark again this weekend. Now they had 31 against Cincinnati. They're not going to hit 31. If they do, they're going to score more than two goals this time. But Toronto actually outperformed Montreal when you look at expected goals and, and frequency and quality of chances. Part of that's because they were down most of the match and, and trying to chase the match. But Montreal's defense was the third most porous in the league last year. Nobody faced more shots on target. They've had some roster turnover. They're going to be without one, maybe two uh, defenders upon whom they're going to rely this year. I think, Tim, I'm with you. I think it all sets up really well for the Nashville SC attack. Anything before we go? That's it. Just rate, review, subscribe, as always. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Moon Taxi for providing the music. Thanks to ESPN 94.9 for the radio highlights and TSN for the audio of Montreal's opening goal of the season. And thanks to you for listening here on the 440 Sports Network. We'll say it one more time. Rate, review, subscribe. We'll talk to you next week or on Twitter in the meantime at Club Country USA at TN's West Bowling at 440 Sports. We'll talk to you soon.